this week in the parish of bourses and market structure. To describe the Nasdaq and market access results as excellent is almost verging on understatement. My name is Patrick L. Young. Welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast, number 79. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. This is a very brief reduction of the highlights amongst the key headlines from the week in market structure. All the analysis of the week's many events and happenings can be found in Exchange Invest's daily subscriber newsletter, the unique guide to the bourse business sent daily to your inbox. More details at exchangeinvest.com. Volume was one of the big stories of the week. Global futures and options trading reached a record level in 2020. That's according to the statisticians at the Futures Industry Association, the international body for exchange-traded derivatives brokers. Global futures and options traded on exchanges worldwide reached a record level of 46.77 billion contracts in 2020, up an eye-watering 35 0.6% from 2019. Total futures trading rose 32.7%. Total options trading rose 39.3%. Open interest, measuring the number of outstanding contracts at any point in time, also reached a record high. 987.3 million contracts at year end. A billion contract open interest year is in sight, ladies and gentlemen. That's up 9.7% from December 2019 albeit not quite keeping pace with the growth in headline contract volume. Of course, the exchange-traded derivatives business astounds once again, and indeed, as my mantra over the past two decades has invariably intoned, it's a derivatives world. The National Stock Exchange of India are out ahead with the total leadership in contracts, a stunning 8.85 billion in 2020, up an eye-watering 48.1% year-on-year, while Brazil's B3 jumped into second place, up 62.5% to 6.31 billion contracts. Consider for a moment the impact therein of integrated clearing across the multiple platforms of B3, allowing less collateral to be used by the market practitioners, reducing margins from what used to be a Sinober technology now owned by Nasdaq. CME falling to third place is a worry. That may sound churlish given 4.82 billion contracts traded in a year, but Stasis is an outlier in this fast-growing market. How can CME not be profiting from oil volatility? Oh, hold on a second. Or indeed, well, what about huge commodity bullishness, to name but another key sector in which CME don't seem to be profiting at the moment, despite their extensive footprint? ICE, the Intercontinental Exchange, on the other hand, comes in fourth in the overall FIA volume ratings for exchange-traded derivatives, with a 23.6% leap to 2.79 billion contracts, despite their expensive data. While NASDAQ may have left futures behind in the United States at least, but their mega-robust individual name equity options franchise across the United States of America helped their growth with a stunning 49% jump in a mature market to 2.66 billion contracts. 
execution, uptime, and efficiency plaudits to the top players who all grew with gusto, except, sadly it has to be said, for CME, who can only be described as a disappointment despite their remaining a key market for volume as the third biggest exchange in the world per se. Coming soon in the derivatives world, Abu Dhabi Exchange will be launching an exchange-traded derivatives venture within the next three years as part of their ADX1 strategy, announced this week. But don't forget, IFAD, that's ICE Futures Abu Dhabi, will become the first exchange-traded derivatives marketplace in the Emirate of Abu Dhabi at the end of March, with the launch of Murban Futures, amongst others. It's ongoing as I record this podcast, but just what is happening with GameStop? Is it anger-driven post-Trumpian reaction as the deplorables speak with their investing money? I'm not altogether convinced about that, although this whole affair does feel a bit to me like liberation theology for markets. Or perhaps it is indeed a dose of Occupy Wall Street on a T plus 2 real money schedule. How deliciously virtual in our digital markets. As those markets evolve with the retail wave and digital access, gosh, didn't some book talk about this in 1999? Well, whatever. The key is to bring the flow into the fold and not expunge it through regulatory idiocy protectionism, which will anyway be seen as a move by the establishment to close the individuals down. Equally, I am rejoicing that this crazy storm of buying is happening on a regulated market and not in, say, unregulated crypto land with all its dubious practices. The flow is coming to the exchange parish, and that means we must do everything to ensure it is welcomed, within, of course, the rules we have honed over the centuries. Finally, and this is really important, a really, really vitally important footnote to the GameStop story, full marks to all the venues trading the GameStop shares. Not a second of outage amongst you all. It's just a pity some major brokers can't keep up, but the exchanges and other platforms have worked. Well done. Elsewhere, the Robinhood CEO, he claims that most of his customers are buy and hold. Not quite clear whether that's buy and hold beyond five minutes, but anyway, that was said against the backdrop of the GameStop trading frenzy. Quite interesting as well, some of the statistics. Last Monday alone, 4.2% of all Fidelity clients, 10.5% of TD Ameritrade clients, and 11% of interactive brokers clients across the world were trading GameStop stock last Monday. Meanwhile, of course, there's been some craven illogic from regulators, such as William Galvin, the Secretary of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, who sadly represents everything wrong with the nanny state stupidity of the modern governmental regulatory system, where the professional management cadre dictate what the deplorables are allowed to do. He wants a 30-day shutdown of the market in GameStop stock. How better to drive anything underground could it be than pushing it away from open free markets? Let GameStop bubble and let's see where it goes. Will folks lose money? Well, of course, some by definition must lose money, but it will be a lesson which surely lasts in the public psyche. Oh, that will be much, much more important and significant to the learning of investors than the blithering of a B-grade regulatory panjandrum, which sadly we've also seen repeated by the sort of people who in Washington represent the voters but seek to wipe out and definitely do not represent free open markets. 
We either have free markets or we don't. The half-pregnancy option of suspending because nobody might get hurt is the thin end of a horrendous wedge in finance, and the bit which separates the arguably dwindling free world from its constrained cousins in dictatorships of one form or another. Meanwhile, demonstrating the ill-judged line of thought from this Massachusetts idiocy, how about the liability issue of closing a market? Has anybody given thought to the fact that if there's already a huge cabal of investors on r slash Wall Street bets, aren't they likely to make for one incredible class action suit if they are deemed suitably deplorable and not allowed to trade the stocks they seek? Meanwhile, elsewhere in Wall Street, New York has emerged as a winner in Brexit. They've been pursuing and taking swap trading from the city of London, which has not, I repeat not, been returning to the Eurozone itself. Running across the Atlantic away from the belly of the European Union beast, Euro-denominated interest rate trading rose on US swap execution facilities in the first two months of January to a 23% market share. That's up from 11% in December. Similar numbers for British pound interest rate swap share as well. So half a century after US left-wing idiocy on taxation, gifted London a golden opportunity to become a newly invigorated global financial centre out of the storied but biodegrading post-imperial financial centre as it was, the United States of America basks in the glorious gift of a spiteful European Union. Results this week, too many to report. All the news was in Exchange Invest. Get more information via exchangeinvest.com, how you can sign up or get a free trial for 30 days. However, two standout mentions. Nasdaq, whose stock is now worth north of $23 billion, is within striking distance of passing the becalmed $30 billion Deutsche Börse. And market access, incredible numbers. Revenues up 31%, operating income up 51%, operating margins of 53.5%, up from 46.9%. To offer anything but effusive praise to these results would be churlish. Excellent numbers from Market Access and NASDAQ. In deals, a couple of little snippets. Again, there were many, many more reportings in Exchange Invest. The UK online brokers, IG, they are buying the US options broker for retail. Tasty trade for a billion dollars. Elsewhere, Ion Group, Andrea Pignataro, the former Salomon's bond trader, who recently launched two SPACs. He's putting some of the money to good use, it seems. He's nearing a $1.8 billion deal to buy Italy's Sidacre. In new markets, one exciting new venue. China has improved the establishment of the Guangzhou Futures Exchange. That's going to be the first joint stock company of a sort to appear in the Chinese firmament. In crypto land this week, the Thailand Stock Exchange, they've said no to digital currencies on their digital asset platform. Coinbase, they're going to be offering a secondary market on NASDAQ for private stock trading before their IPO. And the Singapore Private Exchange for Crypto Assets, iStock, has raised some $50 million in its latest round, backed by various Japanese firms and also the Singapore Exchange and Singapore's Temasek, amongst others. In product news this week, the Hong Kong Exchange got very excited. They're welcoming inclusion of STAR, that's their smaller market cap, stocks into the Stock Connect system, amid a further expansion as well of Southbound Stock Connect trading. The London Metals Exchange, of course, a subsidiary of the Hong Kong Exchanges, they're launching fast market settled lithium futures in the near future. 
Elsewhere, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange Group, they're going to launch a global emissions offset futures contract on March the 1st. Oh, I know, I know, I know, it's so tempting to say more. But let's just leave it at CME looks to become the global leader in hot air. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up. Or if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome wherever you find this podcast. Technology news this week. Two reports you should be downloading. You can catch the information, exchangeinvest.com. We've got the links there in the podcast section. You can read the NASDAQ 2021 Tech Trends Report. It's a must-read so you can understand that there are, well, more cloud types than merely cumulonimbus, that custom chips are the cool thing to have on your circuit boards. Indeed, when I think about that on the micro level, I'm looking forward to replacing the recently acquired Apple Mac with the custom Apple-chipped Mac when Europe finally gets its deliveries appearing in the near future. That hopefully will come someday in, well... Before, I imagine, European Union will see widespread vaccination, certainly, but that's not saying much. Equally, in the Nasdaq themes, SAS for your SASS, in other words, lots of security, and compliant data sharing in an age of GDPR are amongst the fascinating themes explored in this, the Nasdaq 2021 Tech Trends Report. Worth a download. More information via exchangeinvest.com. Equally, you can also access the white paper from BMLL, Financial Technology Company, how buy-side participants are using predictive data. Interesting statistics, 74% of funds use level 3 data to improve alpha generation and algo performance. One final footnote in the technology stream this week, a little-known London technology shop, PESB, have, wait for it, sued their client no less than the multi-commodity exchange of India, after the MCX had paid $2.6 million for a commodity system, which is still not operational. It's really difficult to know what's going on here before we see discovery. Clearly, the MCX issue may be, of course, substandard specification of the system or goalpost moving. Perhaps that could be driven by the internal political issues where MCX may still have a loyal fringe to its original founder, Jignesh Shah. Could also be, of course, that it's just simply substandard technology. Anyway, what we can tell is PESB have preemptively sued in Singapore. It's not a good look if they have an ambition to service other parish exchange clients, so evidently there is an element of desperation in their actions as they have clearly run out of road to keep negotiating with MCX for whatever reason. Regulation news this week. The chairman of the CFTC, Heath Tarbert, has left office but will remain a commissioner for the time being. After a very successful spell, the CFTC has named Roston Benham as acting chairman. Congratulations to him and also congratulations to Alison Heron-Lee, who's going to act as SEC chairman until Gary Gensler is approved by the US Houses of Parliament. Elsewhere, a bit of a spat this week, the European Union, they won't grant equivalence to the UK's clearinghouses, for no good reason other than, of course, the fact that they feel like a spurned, spiteful wife. However, leaving the spousal divorce issues of Brexit aside, the EU have finally granted market access and equivalence to the US securities clearinghouses. That's the clearinghouses, the CCPs, regulated under the SEC. Lots of words of doom coming from the media during the course of the week, but actually the reality is 
the serious players in the CCP business, those that are regulated in the USA by the CFTC, already had equivalents since 2016. People News this week, one exciting hire at NASDAQ. Well, actually, it's a promotion. NASDAQ are promoting Jeremy School, their marketing and PR dervish, to become the chief strategy officer. The first time NASDAQ has had a chief strategy officer as a C-suite position in its history. All the very, very best to Jeremy, who's taking on this newly created C-suite position to be responsible for NASDAQ's mergers and acquisitions, venture investing, divestitures and innovation initiatives, as well as retaining his old brief of marketing and communications. Excellent news altogether. I wish Jeremy every success on his elevation with a fascinating position at the point where the parish is a target-rich opportunity horizon. And in a week when GameStop turned game on with perhaps the most epic short squeeze since the VW Porsche shenanigans in Germany a few years back, the scores on the doors of new investor numbers have been hugely reassuring for the year 2020 for stock markets the world over, thanks to, due to, well, who knows. In any case, something related to lockdown was one of the culprits in a COVID year. Millions of new investors piled into markets. First of all, of course, was Moscow Exchanges, who brought in 5 million new investors. That was not just more investors than any year previously in history, as I've said before. That comes on top of 3.8 million people being the investor base at the start of 2020. In total, therefore, leaving them with 8.8 million people by the end of the year is a pretty scintillating number. Then last week, we had the results from China. They've scooped an impressive total of new investors, some 18 million new accounts. That's adding nearly the population of Northern Ireland every month during 2020, giving the nation some 177.77 million investors. A simply phenomenal increase in any market, although I suppose the Robin Hood meets lockdown effect, well, r slash Wall Street bets, on the USA, certainly brought more capital into markets during 2020, if not perhaps as many people. And on that magnificent and mysterious note, thank you very much for listening to me, Patrick L. Young, with this episode 79 of the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast. I wish you a great week in life and markets. This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our programme, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.